0: Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. Here we go. Email us at fantasyfootball at CBSI.com. Here we go! It's time to dominate your fantasy league. Let's go!
1: Now, here's some combination
2: of Adam, Dave, Jamie, and Heath. Welcome into Fantasy Football Today. Here, it is Monday, August 12th, and we are starting wide receivers. Part one of our wide receivers preview for the 2019 season. You might think wide receivers are safer than running backs. We kind of told you that last week on the show, but I got another stat for you that's going to blow your mind and might make you reconsider. I'm Adam Azer, at Adam Azer on Twitter A-I-Z-E-R. Hello to at Jamie Eisenberg, J-A-M-E-Y. What's up, Jamie? Uh,
0: I appreciate you going by our Twitter handles. That's very um, very non-pluggy of you.
2: Very, yeah, very 2019 of me. I'm all about uh, the internet. At Heath Cummings Sr. is here. Hello at Heath Cummings Sr.
3: Thank you, Adam. I am happy to be here.
2: Good. You sound very happy to be here. And Dave Richard, (laughs) at Dave Richard, is here. Not even going to spell it, but it's singular. Not Dave Richards. What's up, Dave?
1: Welcome to the Preston Williams Hour.
2: Ah. Oh, yeah. We'll do a little bit of uh, preseason standouts as well. We've got time to get to those. And look, I don't know how many shows Wide Receiver Preview will be. It's definitely going to be at least two. If we have to spill into a third one, that's totally fine. But let's break down this position. How are you guys feeling about this position this year?
1: Oh, I think the position's really deep. Lots of startable talent that you can find all the way into round seven. It depends on how risk-averse you are. If If you're really focused on having safe picks, then probably three of your first five picks will be wide receivers. You'll cover your starting spots with safe, solid wide receivers that you feel good about. And then you'll pick up another two or three along the rest of the draft. Maybe a couple to just speculate on that you hope can break out.
2: All right. Can I take a quick detour from wide receivers already, two minutes into the show? I want to ask you guys, <laughs> okay. how, how do you Jamie, tell me how you feel about this team. It's August 12th right now. Let's say you drafted this team today. You have the fourth overall pick. You go with Ezekiel Elliott. I'll take Mike Evans in round two. Melvin Gordon in round three. Antonio Brown in round four, and A.J. Green in round five. Why
0: are you lumping Mike Evans in with these guys?
2: Well, it, there's only, those are the only four, right? And then I just figured, like, who could realistically be there that you'd take in round two? So I just went with Mike Evans. But Gurley. Uh, okay, fine. Yeah, Todd Gurley. Zeke, Gurley, Gordon, Antonio Brown, and A.J. Green. How would you, how would you feel about that team right now if you drafted
0: I was actually thinking about this over the weekend that if you if you said in January, and the reason I picked January is because if you put Gronk at tight end and you said this was your team at the end of last season, you could have it for the next three years, would you sign up for it? Well, not for three years. Uh, <laughs> or just... 20, 2019. You signed up for 2019 with Zeke, Gurley, Gordon, A.J. Green, Antonio Brown, and Gronk. And, and, and maybe Andrew Luck at quarterback.
1: How do you say no to that, right? There we go. Of course not. You can make luck your round 6 pick.
0: Everybody everybody in the world would take that.
1: Yeah. I don't know why
2: I would have taken it. Just came to me that that would be a funny team. Um to uh, to start with and I mean, on Did you just
0: jinx Mike Evans. Is that, that No, okay, I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we love Mike Evans. He's the eighth receiver off the board. Uh, we love Mike
0: Evans. Uh,
2: although he's only had one <laughs> one year with more than like 1320 yards. He's uh, never had a 100 catch he's season.
0: Off my draft list now.
2: I've never had a 100 catches. You know how many wide receivers had 100 catches last year?
1: Uh, four. Dave, want to guess? Uh, I was going to say three. Heath? Uh, I said six.
2: Oh, you said six. It is eight, the most in at least the last wow. five years. Yeah. Last year was a great year for wide receivers. Juju Smith-Schuster, for example, had, uh, had a, a monster year, right? He was the number nine wide receiver in non PPR, number eight in PPR. Would have been number three in 2017. Would have been top five in 2016. So it was a great year for wide receivers. Uh, today's sponsors. I'm all over the place, but let me just tell you real quick. Today's sponsors are FanDuel. Go to FanDuel.com/fft, get a five dollar bonus, start playing some football. They have preseason FanDuel. It's awesome. You can gamble there. SeatGeek. If you want ten bucks off your first purchase on SeatGeek, you need tickets to any event. Uh go to SeatGeek and use the promo code FFT and NFL Game Pass. Jamie and I Jamie and I have a running joke about how much we love condensed mode on NFL Game Pass. It is the greatest thing. It has allowed me to watch every preseason game, at least parts of it. Um go to NFL, go to NFL.com slash fantasy football today and get Game Pass. All right. So focusing now. Are wide receivers safer than running backs? So we gave out the stat last week, Heath, that running backs have been a lot more injury prone. Uh, The top 12 running backs in ADP over the last three seasons have missed 112 games due to injury. The top 12 wide receivers have missed 61 games due to injury over the last three uh, seasons. However, how about this? Same three seasons, top 12 running backs on draft day and in ADP, 21 out of 36 have finished top 12. Wide receivers, 20 out of 36 have finished top 12. So each of the last three years has been very close. There hasn't been a big difference between top 12 and ADP and top 12 finishes between running backs and wide receivers, and what do you make of that?
3: I really enjoyed how you said 20 as if it was like a big reveal on some uh, mystery show, how we just (laughs) discovered. Of course, wide receivers are safer than running backs. There have been studies on this that have gone more than three years, that have gone more than 12 players per position. I do think maybe... It's no more likely, it looks like, over the last three years for a top-12 player to finish top-12, but I would say a lot more of those top-12 wide receivers finish 12 through 20, and that's still very, very safe. So, of course, wide receivers are safer than running
1: back. How about, my first reaction is, you said the top-12 receivers in ADP have missed 61 games? Yeah. Odell Beckham's been, like, 25% Twenty-five percent of that, of, yeah, right?
0: He's the worst because he's missed
1: sixteen <laughs> games over the last two years.
0: Ever since Adam got his uh his Odell Beckham jersey, <laughs> <been injury> <laughs> yeah. Okay, it's
2: uh, my I drink Mike Mike Evans. I'm very sorry. I shouldn't have done that to Mike Evans. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. I'm the Bush. I was watching uh, Bronx Tale the other night. I am just one hundred percent the Bush. Um, oh, so, great movie. Uh, you know, it's really not. It's really not. Oh God, what, what was the last time you saw it? Like a month ago. Since the last month, you'll see it doesn't really hold up. Um, what is your overall <laughs> wide receiver strategy, Jamie?
0: Not to listen to anything you say.
2: <laughs> Good idea.
0: Unbelievable! I, I'm I'm shocked.
2: It's fine. It's a fine movie. It's it's a little cheesy.
1: I mean, what did you say about cryotherapy in the last month and a half, Adam? <laughs> what can, have you done, to Antonio? You can Brown? wear any
2: any old pair of socks you want in a cryotherapy machine. No problem. Um, what's uh, guys? What's your overall wide receiver strategy, Jamie? I'll start with you.
0: It a lot of it depends on where you pick in the first round, because if you pick toward the back end of the first round, it's very much in your best interest to take a, a wide receiver there. You know, and there's going to be some great running back talent that you may pass over uh, from David Johnson to James Conner, Le'Veon Bell, Nick Tubb, now Joe Mixon. You know, whatever you want to put up, you know, at the back end of the first round. But they're just, you know, you you're going to see any combination of. I, I think, you know, DeAndre Hopkins is going to solidify himself as the first receiver off the board, but it could be Devontae Adams, it could be Julio Jones, it could be anybody else uh at your disposal or at the having the ability to take those guys. And it it just sort of changes how you, you know, build your team, especially if you go two wide receivers in a row. But I, I, I think, you know, the idea is if you can come away with uh, you know, Dave said three of your first five picks as, as wide receivers, if if you could come away with Two guys I think that are in the top fifteen, you should feel pretty happy about the way your roster should set up because then you could just sort of go a little bit running back crazy if you want to. Um and, and it's a good way to look at your roster as a whole. I don't
3: really intentional positional strategy. Um, but I do find myself if I have a pick in the last three or four picks, starting wide receiver, wide receiver almost every time unless James Connor's there. And I do take a go lot of wide receivers now. like It's Chubb in non-PPR. I think you definitely have to do that. and PPR, probably not. Uh, I do think, like, when we talk about how deep wide receiver is, that is true because there are some guys that should be 6th or 7th round picks that sometimes fall to the ninth or 10th. But also, when I get to the 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th round, and we're taking guys like Darwin Thompson, Justice Hill, I don't feel like those same types of wide receiver upside exist. So I would like to have most of my wide receiver depth taken care of in the single-digit rounds, and I can take those lottery tickets on running back slate.
1: Yeah, that's typically how I operate as well. I almost never carry more than one bench receiver, but I know that I'm in the minority there. The advice I tend to give people is if, if you want no-brainer starters week in and week out on your team, receiver is a great way to go because these guys, especially in the top 15, they're consistent, uh, when they're not consistent, they are so boomer bust that when they boom, you're going to win your week. I'm thinking about guys like Tyreek Hill. and um, yeah, you you if you don't want to have the headache of worrying about who to start and sit each week, and you'd rather push that to maybe your number two RB spot or your tight end spot, you go with wide receivers fairly early on. So, Jamie said it
2: depends a lot on where you draft. If you have a top four pick, we're obviously taking a running back five and six are wide receivers, when when do Hopkins and Adams come off the board? Or it may not be Hopkins and Adams for you guys, but when do when do the wide receivers come off the board? Let's kind of go through the first, I don't know, 10 picks or so.
0: I think that's what you're going to end up seeing is, is five and six and maybe seven just being wide receiver. Uh, I think Julio may have pushed himself into the top three. Oh, I'm sorry, in the top two, um, based on average opposition on CBS. So... You know, you could see that happening. I believe Julio is our highest projected wide receiver in non-PPR, which is a little strange. But um, we don't it, do those it, projections.
2: Uh, just that those, yeah, those are not Dave, Jamie, Heath projections. Just so you know, when you look on the website, uh, and, you see and, projections.
0: In any event, I, I think you will see most drafts go with Hopkins, Adams, and Julio Jones as the top three receivers taken. Um, in PPR, I think it's easy to do that at five and six. Non PPR, you know, you're going to have again the, those those running backs that I mentioned, David Johnson, James Conner, Le'Veon Bell, and I think you know by the time we get to the, the end of August, Nick Chubb will be up there also. So um, that they may be you know jockeying for five, and in some cases they may be jockeying for four in terms of receivers if Elliott Holdout continues.
3: Yeah, I think I think um, really in a PPR league, half of the first round should be wide receivers. I think Hopkins, Jones, Juju. Thomas Hill and Adams should all go
1: in the first round. I agree. I'm not quite there with you guys. I still think Kelsey belongs late round one in a PPR just, and maybe even a non PPR. If you have to have that tight end position filled and you're picking late in round one, you're not gonna, you're not gonna take Kittle in round two or Ertz in round two. And I don't know if you can guarantee that they're going to make it there in round three. So if you have to have a top three tight end, it's Kelsey or bust for your squad. Here's this is how I knew that I wasn't going to take Le'Veon Bell in round one in any single one of my draft. I started looking at the receiver depth, and I thought about what my teams would look like starting receiver-receiver in late round one, early round two in snake drafts. And I like it so much that I don't want to even mess—and I love running backs—I'm not even messing with Le'Veon Bell in that spot. And I'm not quite there with Nick Chubb either. I'm, I'm taking receiver-receiver over Chubb, even in non-PPR— um, w- when I'm picking late in round one, I just I like the stability of getting two stud receivers, taking the pressure off of getting uh, those positions filled in round three, four, and five, and, and going after running back in those spots.
0: So I like the way that our average draft position is sort of starting to take shape. You know, uh, aside from the fact that Mahomes is at seven, So if you take Mahomes out, there are one, two, three, four, five receivers that would go in the first round. Uh, Nat Hopkins, Adams. Julio, Thomas, and Beckham. And I agree with Heath. I think Juju is a 1st round pick. Uh, if you're looking at it from the the running back tight end standpoint, Kelsey goes at 15, which I think is a good spot for him. And then you talk about the running backs. It's still the first four guys. I, I, I'm curious to see where Zeke will end up falling. But then after that, it goes Bell as the fifth back, David Johnson, James Conner. And after Conner, is still Mick.
2: Yeah, I, I think that The swing picks are obviously always very interesting. If you're picking you know, eighth or later in a draft, it's easy to go some combination of running back receiver. You could think about receiver, receiver. But let me ask you this. How many wide receivers are there that you feel like, okay, these are the guys that I want to start receiver, receiver? Uh, Where's that tier? Where once you get to like, oh, okay, if T.Y. Hilton is the second receiver, okay, maybe I'm starting to lead... Uh, more toward running back or something like that. But uh, how many how many wide receivers do you want, if you're starting receiver-receiver, how many wide receivers are in that tier where that, that's those are the guys you want to start with?
0: Eight in non-PPR, you're talking... nine in PPR. Yep. I was going to say eight regardless.
2: Heath, that's what you think too?
3: Yeah, I think uh, in non-PPR, you stop at Evans, uh, who's my number eight, and I would include Keenan Allen in PPR. I agree. Um, and the, the problem is it's not so much that there aren't other wide receivers that deserve to be second round picks, but there's not any other wide receivers that I want to take with the first eight picks of the second round. And if I've started with the top four pick, I'm not going receiver receiver. So if I'm starting with DeAndre Hopkins at five, there's eight or nine
0: receivers I'd take coming back in the second round. Right. And, and if you do that at five, you, you know, you're looking at Evans or Keenan Allen, because I think the other six guys are gone by the time you get to that point. The, the thing is, it's like, once you get past Keenan Allen, it's, Amari Cooper should not be in the middle of the second round as much as I like him. He's a back-end-of-the-second-round guy at best. Obviously, Antonio Brown now with the saga that he's dealing with, you're not touching him there. The only other guy that I think you may see drafted there, we're not going to tell you that, is Adam Thielen, based on where he's going. And I think that's just ridiculously too high for him, um, you know, middle of the second round. If you want to buy into him and saying he's a late second-round guy, that's your choice. I, I'd rather get him in the third round of PPR, not that close in in non-PPR. But then, it, you know, Adam, you get to the group of Hilton and... Uh, Diggs and, you know, I, I guess you can make a case for Edelman in PPR. Um, you know, maybe Brandon Cooks as well or Robert Woods. You know, just looking at it, Woods is still going ahead of Cooks in, in our ADP. And maybe the injury that Cooks is dealing with has something to deal with that. Um, but I think it's it's really eight guys in non-PPR and nine guys in PPR.
2: Okay. I, I do think it's kind of interesting that we sort of overlook Keenan Allen did not have a very good season for a guy that we're considering in that tier. Uh, at least in PPR, he was wide receiver twelve in PPR last year. He played all sixteen games. He had about twelve hundred yards, ninety-seven catches. Ninety-seven catches in a year when eleven wide receiver or how many uh, eight eight wide receivers had a hundred catches. So I look forward to talking about Keenan Allen for sure. Uh, I look forward to talking about all of these guys. We're going to take a quick break here on fantasy football today, and when we come back, uh, a little bit more on this subject. What do you? What about zero wide receiver? At what point in the rankings do the wide receivers just start to stink? That's coming up right after this. I want to know if this means anything to you guys. Michael Thomas, to me, has been basically the definition of a swing pick, and I mean like swinging end of round one, uh, beginning of round two. He's going to go in that range. He's played three seasons, and Michael Thomas has been uh, top seven in PPR, like right around six or seven in PPR each year, and seven to nine, wide receiver seven or nine in non-PPR each year. So where has he finished among running backs, tight ends, and wide receivers, basically non-quarterbacks? Well, in not in uh, non-PPR leagues, he has been the number 24, number 23, and number 19 non-QB in fantasy, Michael Thomas. In half-PPR, he's been number 17, number 13, and number 11. And in PPR, he's been number 13, number 13, and number 11. That's overall scoring, not including quarterbacks. Does that mean anything to you when you're looking at Michael Thomas and you're comparing him to a guy like Joe Mixon? You're comparing him to a guy like Nick Chubb? He's been in in half PPR and PPR. He's been either 13th or 11th two straight years in non PPR. Like, how can you take Michael Thomas ahead of those running backs when he's been 24th, 23rd, and 19th overall among non quarterbacks? You know, and and Thomas, I just think is a great example of an end of round one, beginning of round two type of pick. Does that mean anything to you guys?
1: I was actually thinking about Drew Brees over the weekend and whether or not I had him ranked too high and. One of the reasons why I think maybe I do is because Michael Thomas just isn't, he's not the yardage hog that a lot of these other top seven fantasy receivers are. And I just looked it up. Over the last two seasons, he's averaged 83 yards per game, which is great in the NFL. And it's good in a PPR league when you're catching as many passes as Michael Thomas catches. Um, But it's it's not great. And I kind of understand your point, Adam. I think you're making a, a valid point just hard to pass on a guy who is just a really good player, huge role in the offense, has nine touchdowns in two of his last three seasons.
0: Yeah, he's a slot receiver. I don't think people realize that he doesn't stretch the field. When he signed his contract, you know, doing a lot of uh, shows with with Pete Prisco, drink, mm. and you know, he kept he kept harping on, you know, for a guy that's getting as much money as he's getting, his yards per catch isn't exactly overwhelming, you know, and you compare him to Julio, who's going to get paid next. And that's the big difference. You know, Julio's yards are just dramatically different. You know, and so it's like it's easy to compare those two guys because they don't score a lot of touchdowns, respectively. But that's the difference is that Julio is, you know, consistently averaging 100 yards per game. And as Dave said, you know, under 85 for for Thomas, it's not a dramatic drop-off, but it's a drop-off enough to, you know, wonder that if he scores seven touchdowns and he goes from 125 catches to 100, you know, are you, are you wasting a early second-round pick on him? I don't think that's going to be the case, but it's something to take into account.
2: Yeah, and he caught 80% of his targets, which is ridiculous. And Drew Brees has yep. never had a 150-target receiver with the Saints. Thomas has been just below that two straight years. So I guess what I'm trying to say is if you're at the end of round one, the beginning of round two, and you're trying to decide between Michael Thomas, who's solidly a top seven PPR wide receiver every year, um, or, you know, or somebody else, Beckham, Juju, guys that are going in that range, or you're trying to decide between Nick Chubb, Joe Mixon, Heath, how important is upside here? Because honestly, I feel like like those those receivers have different types of upside. I think Juju has much more upside than Michael Thomas. I think Beckham is more, more upside than Michael Thomas. I think Nick Chubb has more upside than Michael Thomas at this point. I don't know how you feel about that, but I, I don't know. I, I think that's something we really need to consider with these picks.
3: Yeah, we talk about upside a lot when it comes to the middle and end of the draft. I don't. You can't win your draft in the first round, but you can come pretty close to losing it. So, yes, you should consider upside. I think and it's there's no doubt Michael Thomas is a better pick in PPR than he is in non-PPR. Um, he should not be ranked as high in non-PPR as he is in PPR. But I, I don't feel comfortable just saying, yeah, Michael Thomas finishes 19th through 23rd every year, so he's a bad pick in the second round. Because there's a lot bigger risk of Nick Chubb or Joe Mixon getting hurt than there is Michael Thomas. And there's a lot bigger risk of Mixon or Chubb just not finishing in the top 24,
2: in my opinion, than there is Michael Thomas. He caught 80, safe. 85% of his targets, by the way, not
1: 80. I'm sorry.
2: Yeah, he is safe, Dave.
1: He is safe. That that That's the name of the game. Yeah. And people who and just th- don't want to to dabble with running backs who have warts on them and, and Le'Veon Bell, he's got warts. Joe Mixon's got warts, too. They're, they're going to veer toward Michael Thomas.
3: I will say, like, in non-PPR, I'd rather have Nick Chubb for sure. Yeah. Um, but I also think the Drew Brees doesn't generally throw that much to his number one wide receiver. Drew Brees has never had a receiver as good as Michael Thomas before.
2: Well, and in the last two years, he's thrown to him 147 and 149 times. So he's right there. Just, I don't know that you're getting, like, 170 targets out of Michael Thomas. No, uh, you're not. No, you're not. He, by the way, he was on pace for 13 touchdowns in his first 10 games. So it looked like he had broken that touchdown spell. And then Drew Brees just went in the tank. The offense wasn't quite as good down the stretch. And Thomas finished with just nine touchdowns, which is good, but, uh, but not great. There were uh, seven wide receivers that had double-digit touchdowns last year. That's the same amount as 2016 and 17 combined. But uh, still not a huge number. You look back past that. All right, some more strategy questions here. We've talked about you could definitely go wide receiver, wide receiver. Based on ADP, guys, how do you feel about this team? Let's say you start with DeAndre Hopkins at five overall. You go Hopkins, Evans, Zach Ertz, and then would you be okay with this in rounds uh, four and five? Some combination of Philip Lindsay, Sony Michelle, James White, Tevin Coleman, Lamar Miller, Tariq Cohen, and Kenyon Drake. You could probably get 3 of those guys with your next 3 picks. If you start Evans, if you start Hopkins, Evans, Ertz, uh that group of running backs, would you be cool cool with a, a start like that?
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And you might get Mark Ingram or Chris Carson. They're ADP just before uh where you'd be picking if you had Hopkins at 5th or 6th overall. How do you feel about zero wide receiver? Is that a viable strategy? I'm writing on that
3: strategy this week. It's not something I've ever intentionally done or really thought about, but I thought since I did zero RB a couple of weeks ago, I should write the other side of that. I, before researching it, I don't feel very comfortable with the idea. If we're talking about starting off with three running backs, four running backs and a tight end and a quarterback or something like that, and taking your first wide receiver in round six, you're probably looking at a number one receiver of someone like, maybe maybe you could get Christian Kirk. Um, if you're not drafting with Ben Gretch, you might find DJ Moore there in the sixth round. D.D. Um, Westbrook's probably your number two in round seven, although he's going to start rising just a little bit. I, I don't particularly feel as comfortable with that as I do zero running back. It doesn't feel like there are like running backs are obviously riskier, but it feels like there are more guys running backs being drafted after round six or seven that could all of a sudden be top 15 or
1: top 20 run, running backs than the other way around. Right, it's harder to see with wide receivers. I I don't think you intentionally, I I think it's almost an accident if you go zero wide receiver on draft day, where in round one, you lock up, let's just say you lock up one of the top four running backs, And then in round two, by some miracle, Joe Mixon is there, and you just can't pass it up. And then in round three, there's there's a tight end there that you really like a lot. Kittle is there in round three, you take him. I, I, I think in that case, it's worth it. But I think I don't think you intentionally go in your draft saying, all right, I'm just gonna forget about wide receivers until round five. I, I don't think that's a good strategy at all. So
2: when is the last group of wide receivers you'd be comfortable with as your number one? Like the I'm like uh, I'm Cup? looking
1: at my I'm looking at my fourth tier of wide receivers, and I don't even know if I love these guys of Galladay, Godwin, Woods Cup, Ridley. I almost think that that might be too late to feel good about your number one wide receiver coming from that tier, which means you've got to go to the earlier tier, and that's Diggs, Edelman, Thielen. Uh, Brandon Cooks is in that tier. Antonio Brown, I think, is going to end up being in that tier. And I I guess in that case, it's
0: okay. You get Robert Woods as your number one guy. You should be thrilled about it. Uh, if you build your team, though.
2: Even, even if it's not PPR? Even if it's standard yes. non-PPR? Okay. If you go that route you're talking about, yeah. That's... Round four, you're saying, if you get Woods there? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay. Uh, at what point in your rankings do the wide receivers just get disgusting? And the genesis of this question is I was doing a mock draft on uh, it was on the Fantasy Pros podcast on Friday, and we were doing a mock draft, and uh, it was like a three-receiver league with two flexes. And, man, once I got to, like, I really have to draft Albert Wilson. Now, I know he's not that bad, but I don't know. Maybe it was around wide receiver 50 or so. It was it was ugly. When do you guys think it's just like I don't want any of these guys? And if I'm in a three receiver league and I could start four receivers, I better really pay attention to that because you don't want to go too deep without getting you know guys that might be starting for you.
1: Maybe it's just me, but I feel like I can find a receiver that I can be satisfied with um, in any round. I, I think the position's that deep. I'm looking at guys that are in my last, literally my last tier, round twelve plus, and the names include. Miles Boykin, Jameson Crowder, uh, James Washington. I don't know how much longer he'll be in that tier. Kenny Stills is in that tier, and there's a lot of other receivers that still have room to to get into that tier. Um, as far as starters, I'm not thrilled about them being starters, but as far as players that I'm happy to pick and have on my bench, I'm okay with them.
3: I don't agree, really. But just I, like there's a group for me late in the 30s, and I think I'm a little lower on some of these guys. I know one of them, Curtis Samuel. John Brown, Mike Williams, Will Fuller, Dante Pettis. Like those guys are still exciting, although we don't know what we're going to get out of them. Once that tier is off the board, I'm pretty grossed out by the
2: position. Jamie, final thought here.
0: Um I think it's kind of in between both what both guys said. You know, like I I think you could find receivers with upside, not guys you want to start in the later group, but you could still get some of those, you know, pockets of good success that we see, you know, three, four weeks of of good production with the hope that it turns into something maybe longer than that. So yeah, it this is a matter of how you build your team.
2: Sleepers, breakouts, and busts when we come back on our wide receiver preview here on Fantasy Football today. So I thought we might get to some uh, preseason stuff today. I, it'll be just very brief. But if you want more on the preseason standouts, like Darwin Thompson look very good for the Chiefs, uh, they're going to talk about that on HQ, on Fantasy Football Today live video show, noon Eastern on CBS Sports HQ, Monday through Friday. Please download the CBS Sports app and start watching HQ anywhere you are. Uh, it's great stuff. You're going to love the show. They do a terrific job. And sometimes I come on and Heath and I yell at each other and everybody loves it. Okay. Blank is my favorite sleeper wide receiver. We'll go Heath, Dave, Jamie. Heath, who's your favorite sleeper? I will call Tyrell. Tyrell
3: Williams, who has been my favorite sleeper before a lot of this Antonio Brown drama. But I think that we need to think about the idea of what if Antonio Brown's not there for a couple of weeks or something happens midseason or he's not playing through an injury. Tyrell Williams could be a top 20 wide receiver without Brown. Even if Brown is there all year, I think with the number of targets they have to replace last year from last year, 361, I believe, there is enough room for Brown to be a number one wide receiver or a close approximation of one. And Tyrell Williams to still get close to 100 targets. And with his career efficiency, about nine yards per target, I would expect a top 30, top 33 season, even if Brown plays 16 games, which seems kind of unlikely right now.
2: Okay, Tyrell Williams I'll going say, 137th overall. Sorry, Dave. Go ahead. That's okay.
1: I, I'm starting to warm up to Tyrell, too, just because of the whole Antonio Brown head foot saga. Um, I'm running out of sleepers. Paris Campbell was a sleeper for me. He's not practicing. Kiki QT was a sleeper for me. He got hurt. So I'm just going to go back to the guy I'm turning back the clock with, and that's Deshaun Jackson, who's going to be deep threat man for the Eagles. Sounds like he and Carson Wentz have finally gotten on the same page after a slow start to camp. He was actually a good deep ball target for the Bucks when he had a catchable pass. Uh, Pro Football Focus says that he had 10 catchable deep balls. He caught nine of them. Four of them went for touchdowns. I I think he could turn back to the type of year, not like his last year in Philadelphia, but his first year in Washington. Had about 100 targets, 56 catches, 1,169 yards. Even that might be a little too high. But six touchdowns. I think he can get you that. So round nine, round 10, good bench receiver to have. Sean Jackson. All right, Jamie, who you got?
0: I'll go with Marquez Valdez-Gantling, you know, after what? Uh, Pete Frisco told me, I think it's uh, it, there's a chance for him to have a big season that's the second guy there in Green Bay. And I know we used to fight over Geronimo Allison, Adam, but uh, not that Allison, I think, is going to have a, a, a terrible year. But it sounds as if that they are really in love with what valdez scaling can do. And I think it's going to be a fun season for him in his sophomore campaign.
2: Yeah, I, I think uh, that's one. That certainly reports have to be, adjust, you know, rep- reports have to make you adjust your thinking because I was, Definitely Team Allison, and now I don't know. I I mean, I feel like they should probably be going pretty close in drafts, but I guess I'd take MVS ahead of him now. You're you're there, right? You take MVS ahead of Allison. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. All right, so Tyrell Allison
1: and PPR, but it's by I think literally one spot.
2: All right, Tyrell, Deshaun Jackson, and MVS. Now follow up question, Heath. You're drafting today. You're not getting Tyrell Williams, you know, 135th or whatever I said when would you pull the trigger on Tyrell Williams?
3: Well, I think what Jamie likes to say is I always take him four rounds before I have to anyway. (laughs) So that probably won't be a problem for me. Um, I'm fine with him in the ninth round. That's easy.
2: Okay. Uh, Who's your favorite breakout receiver?
3: Uh, Good. I get to go first. I'll take D.D. Westbrook. We've been talking about him all summer. Uh, I think there's a huge target opportunity. does not sound like Marquise Lee is going to be ready for the start of the year. There's just no competition for Westbrook in that slot role. They don't really have a tight end, which is kind of what this offense usually focuses on. I think Westbrook gets some of those targets, leads all wide receivers. I've bumped him up just a little bit. I've got him 127 targets now, which makes him wide receiver 25 at pretty close to last year's efficiency. And I do think there's a chance this offense is more creative. He has better quarterback play, and he is just a more efficient wide receiver. Would not be surprised at all if D.D. Westbrook is the top 20 wide receiver this year.
0: Can I, can I ask you a question? Because I'm in total agreement with everything you're saying, but there's a report from the Athletic that uh, Nick Foles is really favoring Chris Conley a ton, and a lot of positive things on DJ Chark. Can Westbrook get distance himself enough from those guys who I think we all view as just guys? Because Conley right. has never done anything, and Chark is, you know, still young, and I I think still profiles as you know a deep ball threat. But can can Westbrook separate himself? Because I think we've all kind of like tied Westbrook to Marquise Lee. And if Lee is not there, like the the sky's the limit for Westbrook. Are we getting too overexcited about him, do you think? And and I'm, I'm not asking you Heath to defend it. I'm just asking because you you're the Westbrook guy. Not to say that, you know, you're, you're wrong in that regard.
3: I have al- almost every week during the training camp preseason that I've updated my projections. I have moved Conley and Shark up just a little bit. I have them second and third now on the team. In targets, I do buy into it just a little bit, but I also think there are enough targets to go around if Lee's not even there, and they don't have any sort of threat at tight end. They're going to have to be a pretty consolidated passing attack.
2: All right. D.D. Westbrook. Uh, Dave, who's your favorite breakout this year?
1: I think Amari Cooper is in line for a career year. You saw what he did in 11 games after he joined the Cowboys at midseason last year had almost 900 yards, had seven touchdowns. It was up and down. The targets were not, he had at least seven targets in nine of those 11 games. And if you, if you take his per game average in those 11 games and you stretch it out over 16, it's 1300 yards and 10 touchdowns. And those would be career type numbers for Amari Cooper. And it's an added bonus. If Ezekiel Elliott does hold out, that means a little bit more passing from the Cowboys. Maybe means eight targets plus per game for Amari Cooper. And I I, I actually, I like the additions that they made with Randall Cobb and bringing back Jason Witten, not for those guys for fantasy, but just to keep defenses honest. And Amari Cooper won't see nearly as many double teams. I I think as long as he stays healthy, a little bit of an issue right now because of his heel, but as long as he stays healthy, he's going to be worth that third round pick. I I like him a lot.
2: Man, I I think he's tough because he had some really bad games and some huge games very inconsistent, uh, but what what gives me a little bit of hope, more hope, is how well he did in the postseason. Amari Cooper, two postseason games, Cooper was really good in both of them, um, and also he only had twenty four percent of the targets during that stretch with the Cowboys, the regular season stretch, which was nine games. Uh, so that's you know that's really not that much for a number one wide receiver. That could go up, I would probably stay about the same, but you know it's not like he was a total target hog. But Dak Prescott was throwing more than ever. Dak Prescott was throwing five more times per game than we've ever seen him throw. So mm-hmm. that's why I'm a little bit nervous about Amari Cooper. But I'm a little bit nervous about all those wide receivers. It's kind of like the running backs in round three. I mean, that's why they're in round three. They have question marks. Feeling Diggs. It's gonna, yeah.
0: It's going to be interesting with the Cowboys, you know, with the, the, the target share with Cobb being an upgrade of what they had last year. I think over Beasley, you know, maybe it's a wash, but yeah, but but still, I I think, you know, if, if Cobb is healthy, I think he's an upgrade. And then, you know, Witten just being the security blanket for, you know, Dak, does that continue with the year absence, you know, just having that player there that he can rely on that, you know, is not going to be exactly flashy and not good for fantasy, but good for, you know, his team. So that, that I think is going to be plus Michael Gallup getting better. You know, I think that's something that gets overlooked. He, He, uh, he started running some different routes even in the game against San Francisco, you know, that, that I think you have to take notice of that he's not just really a deep ball guy anymore. Okay, so Dave says Amari Cooper, Heath has D.D. Westbrook as a breakout.
2: Obviously, you can have breakouts in different tiers with different expectations. Jamie, who's your favorite breakout?
0: I mean, so I have to say it Yeah, um, I it's Curtis, Curtis Samuel. Oh um, yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm I'm obviously very excited about the opportunity for him. Uh the hype. I think he's got a little too out of control with the reports out of Carolina, but we'll see if he lives up to it. You know, he's having a great preseason. You know, if you're just talking about a uh, uh, training camp, excuse me. If you're just talking about camp reports for a player, um, it's hard to find somebody who's had more glowing comments and, and reports and reviews about themselves, <laughs> um, you know, than Curtis Samuel has had. So I, I, I'll, I'll go back to what I've said all along. I, I still think there's a higher ceiling for DJ Moore just because I think he has a little bit more of a better pedigree and upside not by much but uh, i i think if curtis samuel is right there with him in terms of what the target can be and and the upside uh we saw it at the end of last season you know six of his final seven games 11 or more ppr points two of those were without cam so take that into account good or bad but uh, i just think you're talking about somebody that's going to be very involved in an offense that doesn't have a ton of playmakers at the receiver position um you know especially if greg olson can't stay healthy so I just like the the opportunity for for Curtis Samuel this year. It's just where's the ADP going to settle for him once we get the real drafts? You know that could sort of uh, you know hurt his his value because I I still think there's a little bit of a ceiling on him. Both the guys in Carolina are
1: potential playmakers though. I mean I, that's just basically what their skill set is is they they can make a catch in the short area and then break it for a long run. The one thing that I will say Samuel might have an edge on more in is the deep ball because I think Samuel's faster than, than DJ Moore. So it's exciting. The, both of these guys are exciting. There were seven games, the, their last seven games last year, their numbers were almost equal. And in five of the seven games, both of them had at least 10 PPR fantasy points. Kind of makes it interesting. If you wanted to take both of them hmm. to be uh, maybe your third and fourth receivers, if you're starting three receivers in a flex you get both of these guys, I think most weeks you'll be happy with what you get from both of them.
2: All right, Curtis Samuel is currently going 91st overall. That's eighth round, Jamie. How do you feel about that? That's over the last month and half PPR.
0: Oh, I mean, if I could still get him there, I'd be thrilled about it. But uh, we did a draft um, this past week. It was, a, was it the 14th team one where Will took him in the fifth round. I think it was.
2: Yeah, it was a Panthers a fan.
0: He took him in the fifth round, and I I, I don't think I've cursed in anybody in the draft room before. <laughs> or in a long, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, come time. on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I'm sorry, I meant to say in a long time. And I was I was pissed <laughs> yeah. at Will uh, for taking him that soon.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, the truth of the matter is, Will Brinson, who hosts the Pick Six podcast, which should be you should be listening to, he probably makes Jamie curse during a mock draft. Uh, basically, at the start of every mock draft, because he's <laughs> no, playing. he's been great. He's been yeah. great, okay. and it's been
0: two years now. He's been great. No way. Come on. A hundred percent. Last year, uh, there, we there, previewed there are it. some there are some worse culprits. Uh, one of them does another podcast with you. Scott, no, the other guy, Chris. Yeah, Chris is on my. Chris is on my list.
2: Well, I mean, Will earned it. Like Will stands for Walking in Likely Late. That's like yes, reputation. Will
0: Will is the Godfather of being late to drafts, uh, but he has not been bad for two years. Okay.
2: Uh, all right, guys, let's do a bust, uh, bust segment here. As we, Dee D.D. Westbrook, Amari Cooper, and Curtis Samuel as breakouts, Tyrell Williams as Sean Jackson, and Marquez Valdez Scantling as sleepers. We'll go, Jamie, Dave, Heath here. Jamie, who's uh, your bust candidate this year among the bust candidates? Who would you like to highlight? I,
0: I, I love Adam Thielen as a player, and I think he's going to put up good stats, but he's going in the second round, and that's just way too soon. I mean, even if he, if he replicates exactly what he did a year ago, then it's worth it. But you're asking him to be as superhuman as possibly he he, he might be able to. And he had a great catch in the preseason game against the Saints. You know, a lot of people get excited about that, and they should. He's going to put up a lot of good numbers. But I think the touchdowns come down to, you know, six or seven. I think the R's come down closer to 1,100. Uh, catches, I think, go under 100. Uh, it's an offense that wants to run the ball. I think they will be successful doing so. Um, Diggs is still there. They have another tight end in the mix that they're going to use both those guys. And, you know, I, I think you'll find that Cousins may spread the ball around a little bit more. And, you know, again, you look at the sample size, it's small. Um, but in those final three games, you know, when Stefanski took over, Dylan was battling some injuries. He just wasn't as involved, and so is that going to be the norm? I don't think so. I don't think he's going to be. I think it, it, if you look at it, it was he, he was definitely third in target. He might have been fourth uh, behind Diggs, Cook, and and Rudolph, um, but there's just a, a, a additional mouths to feed, especially if, you know, Dalvin Cook can stay healthy, and I just don't think that he's a second-round pick, and I don't know if you can justify him even going you know, early third and non PPR in, in, in PPR, it's fine. But in non PPR, I think going early third is too soon.
1: Do you think he'll get a hundred yards per game for eight straight games again? <laughs>
0: no, I mean, that was Jerry
1: Rice numbers. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. And they also really like their, they got a new slot receiver, Chad Beebe. Who's related. You remember Don Beebe, Adam? Of course. Come on. This is his kid. Of course. This is his kid. Really? And he, wow. he can only, he, <sighs> Like, he'll say he could line up anywhere, but he's being groomed for the slot, which means Thielen is now out of the slot. And so he's going to play outside. And if he's competing for targets outside with Stephon Diggs, it's going to be a headache for the defenses that Minnesota plays. But I think his targets could come way down. So I think we all agree that Thielen at his ADP is just a massive bust.
2: Well, massive. I mean, he's a third round pick, though, not a second round pick. He's not a fourth round pick. He's fine. He I just don't one. think
1: I'm going to draft him very often. Okay,
2: fair enough. Uh, who's your bust, Dave?
1: Uh, AJ Green's ADP is starting to fall to a point where he's not as busty, but late round five is still pretty bad for a guy who isn't going to be ready for week one. We don't know if he's going to be ready weeks two or three. He'll probably have a week where he comes back and he's got to shake the rust off. It's a new offense that he's not going to have the benefit of, of training camp in the preseason to fully diverse himself in. And two of the last three seasons, he's ended the year hurt. So I don't know how many games you're going to get out of A.J. Green. Um, but I did do an undercover mock where I got him in round seven. And I love that. Ooh. I'll take that all day. I don't know how often I'll find him in round seven. Maybe by the time the season uh, is a week away or so and there still aren't any good reports about A.J. Green. At that point, maybe I'll. Maybe we'll all see him going in round seven. And I would be comfortable getting him then. But round five is just too soon. Okay. Uh, Heath, your bust. I will
3: will say I'm I'm perfectly fine taking A.J. Green in the fifth round, but I think we have to talk about the most obvious bust after the last week. It is the wide receiver preview, and we don't know exactly where Antonio Brown's going to be weeks from now or months from now, but I came into the season thinking Antonio Brown could be a bust just because of the downgrade in offense, the downgrade in quarterback, and the question marks surrounding that whole thing there in Oakland. Their offensive line looks like a disaster right now. He does not... uh, believe can't play football right now because of his feet. He's getting some sort of argument with the league over his helmet. And this does not sound like a very good situation. I I would not take Brown in the third round for sure. I have a hard time taking him in the fourth. I think you have to look more like the fifth round for Antonio Brown. And the really interesting question is like, if you come to a choice between Antonio Brown and AJ green, if we hear a report in the next week that AJ green's recovery is going well, and they think he's going to be fine for week two or week three. I might take green ahead of Brown.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, it, uh, it, it, it's hard to trust him. I mean, I did a poll. Um, if you were drafting him this weekend, this was, uh, a few days ago. Uh, would you take him round two or three, round four or five, round five or later around never, no way. Um, four or five right now was the leader at 33%, but 28% never, no way was second. And round two or three was Mm -hmm. third. Now I, I think round five or later was, was 19%. Um, I, I think, if you're drafting right now, it's he's in that same category of Melvin Gordon and um, I don't want to say Ezekiel Elliott yet, but uh, maybe you can put AJ Green in there if you want to. But if if it gets to just the point where you take a chance on somebody, then the hope is that he's playing. And there's a lot of speculation that you know he's doing this to avoid training camp and to avoid maybe being on hard knocks in terms of being a, a a little bit more of a featured option. They clearly have to talk about this. Um, it's just it's just hard to say what's what's happening with him right now. Is he really going to walk away from all this money with because of a helmet? No. Well, let me let me be the optimist here because I don't really think the Raiders offensive
2: line is looking like a long-term disaster. I think they came into the to training camp looking like they were going to have one of the better offensive lines in football. But, you know, you've got Incognito suspended for a couple of games. You've got Gabe Jackson dealing with an injury. I understand there are some issues now. I do think there's a chance that there's that's a really good offensive line for a good chunk of the season. Now let's say Antonio Brown is gets a, gets a new helmet. His feet are fine. He's ready for week one. And everything looks good. When, when would you take uh, Antonio Brown
1: in that scenario? Round three. Early round three.
3: Wait, so we're we're pretending like for the next month everything's just going to be normal and there's not going to be any weirdness anymore? Yes. That seems like a really strange thing to pretend Th- based on what's <laughs> happened the last week, but I would agree with round three.
2: Oh, oh look at those feet. Wow, if you're watching our video, yeah. there are the feet. Uh, would you take Adam Thielen or Antonio Brown, assuming everything's fine?
3: Thielen. Thielen easy. Thielen. Brown.
2: Brandon Cooks or Antonio Brown? Cooks. Okay, you you are talking about the best receiver in fantasy five
1: years running, basically. Or if, yeah, yeah, but he's you know he's not going to put up numbers with Carr like he put up with Roethlisberger. We knew we yeah. knew that he's from the day, from the day he was traded.
2: Yes, yes, I know. I just I wonder at what, what point we go a little too far in downgrading him because I because I think that the question I just asked you right, if everything's fine and you know he's he. Tomorrow he's back, you know. And you said round 3. Well, I feel like if I asked you when do you take Antonio Brown, if I had asked you this a month ago, before the offensive line injuries, before the foot or before the feet, before the helmet, I think you probably would have been a little bit earlier with Antonio Brown, like late round 2, early round 3, whereas now I'm kind of feeling like you're valuing him as like a mid round 3 to late round 3 guy. I feel, I just feel like we've mentally downgraded him. Uh, to the point where that even if he does come back, we're going to be a little bit sour on him. He does come back, and he's perfectly fine.
0: You know what I'm saying? No, I I think you're right in that regard. I mean, I'll I'll speak for myself. I had him right around 20th in PPR. I think like 22 or 23 in non-PPR. But you have to take into account that there's something off with him. I mean, it's just it's, it's hard not to. So, you know, you have to sort of take that into account when you're valuing him and evaluating him.
1: Like, what if he hates the field at the Coliseum?
0: I, I mean, I, I, you 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 wonder if forget about the field. What if he just hates David, uh, Derek Carr, and John Gruden after spending some time with them? Like, Aww. this just isn't for me. What if he just
1: becomes a malcontent to cash in this new extension that he got, collect the thirty
0: million guarantee? Okay, that's fair. He's never. That's fair. He's never. He's never been part of a consistently losing team, and so if that frustration starts to wear on him, which could be part of the problem last year when they were losing. And the quarterback was blaming him for things that never happened before. You know, they're, they're, it's just, it's so hard to say that he's not, forget about the numbers because the numbers may be fine for a stretch of games, but he just may say, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of Gruden. I'm tired of car underthrowing me. I'm tired of all of it. And he can say those things and not retire and still collect the guaranteed money. And and Dave, you bring up a point the, the you guys will know this more than me. When, when does the field switch? In Oakland.
1: Honestly, oh, 2020.
0: October <laughs> when they go to no, I mean from baseball to football. Oh yeah, I, I October, right? October. So you know, I mean that that may be a problem for his feet. Yeah, but they're they're like they're away <laughs> from the costume for like two straight months, and that's another over. thing. The
1: travel is terrible. Yeah, the Raiders and the Bucks specifically have really bad schedules.
2: Okay. By the way, um, Derek Carr purchased a house in Las Vegas right next to John Gruden's house in Las Vegas. So I bet they'd be wonderful to hang out with their next-door neighbors. It's going to be
1: weird when he's not a Raider. Now. It
2: is going to be weird. All let right, right, let's, uh, let's take one last break here on Fantasy Football today, and we'll come back and wrap up part one of our Wide Receivers Preview.
1: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right. Welcome
2: back to fantasy football today. Wide receivers preview part one. And I had a feeling this would be, uh, it's going to be probably a three-parter. So we're going to stop with wide receivers for today. we got about 50 minutes of wide receiver talk in there. And we're going to talk about preseason stuff and some winners and some losers, some risers and some fallers based on the first week of preseason games and also important injuries guys. And we talk about wide receiver injuries uh, Trey Quinn for Washington and Trent Taylor for San Francisco, two slot receivers that we kind of liked late in drafts. They're both banged up right now. So let, let's start with that news item. And uh, Heath, your, your reaction to Trey Quinn and Trent Taylor, just, you know, it's we still have time. We still have about a month before the season starts, but they're a little banged up. Uh, your thoughts?
3: Yeah, I mean, these guys were really, really borderline when it came to just a normal draft this season in terms of redraft. So I think it probably is going to knock them off of boards for the most part. I was slightly more interested in Trey Quinn just because there's less competition for targets there. But, and his, his injury actually doesn't sound quite as bad as Taylor's does. But for the most part, I'm probably just not drafting either of these guys, unless you're talking about something that's more than a 16 round draft.
0: Okay. I really like Trey Quinn a lot and I I don't think his injury is that bad.
2: So
3: you
0: draft I like Taylor a lot, but I think that injury could get bad.
2: All right. So Dave and Jamie, you would take late round picks on Trey Quinn and/or Trent Taylor. Uh,
0: well, I have been on Trey Quinn. I would not on Trent Taylor. No. Yeah. I now I can't do it on Taylor. Okay. Yeah.
2: Taylor. He may not miss too many regular season games. He had surgery for a fractured toe, but I guess there's just no reason to draft him. I'd like to say this about uh, Trent Taylor and San Francisco in general. I've gotten. A little gun shy with my Dante Pettis breakout. Uh you have to, yes. Yeah. Right? It's just I'll tell you what. too many guys. Too many guys.
1: Debo Samuel. Yeah, he looked good. Looked great. He did and I know we're supposed to also mention Jalen Hurd, Hurd had the two touchdowns. He looked good too. They've got a lot of wide receivers that can stretch the field, run good routes, catch the football. Like you know, th- the best way to probably put it is they don't have a number one, but they've got a lot of number twos and number threes.
2: Yeah, that's a shame. but And that's sort of been a trend of Garoppolo, is especially with the running backs. He throws the ball to so many different running backs, um, but he gets Kyle chick involved. He doesn't really feature any running back in the passing game. I'm not sure he's going to feature any wide receiver in the passing game. I do think he'll feature George Kittle. Um, but I'm, So I'm backing off a little bit. I still like Dante Pettis, but I, I just can't really call him like my right.
1: super-duper number-one breakout. He, he I don't think he's a candidate to be a number-two receiver anymore. I think he's more like a number-three fantasy receiver. He might be a number-four. Sure. You could draft him as a low-end number three receiver. Uh, I don't know, man. Like, now, I, now I it might be a little much. I still think there's upside, but there were a couple plays against Dallas
0: where he couldn't break off the, the, the press. They had him playing into the second quarter when everybody else was off the field that mattered. Oh man, I
3: I, I told you the group that I put him with earlier. It's I, I put him behind, like, the Will Fuller Mike Williams might be good, but don't feel confident they're going to be a definite starter week one. He's at the back end of that group now.
1: Well, I will and like be, continue to fall. Will I've Fuller? I've got Curtis Samuel ahead of him. Will Fuller obviously
2: <laughs> could be quite good well, in week <laughs> one if Kiki Q T doesn't play. Kiki Q T won't be back anytime soon, so I'm not necessarily expecting him for week one. Um, another big injury: Theo Riddick Heath is out six to eight weeks with a fractured shoulder. We really didn't like the Riddick signing for Philip Lindsay, but how are we feeling about Philip Lindsay now that Riddick's out six to eight weeks?
3: I did move Lindsay back up a little bit, but he didn't go all the way back because the Broncos still made the decision to bring Riddick in for those pass catching down. So I don't think that because he's out now, we're going to see Lindsay just get all of that work. But I think this probably means Devontae Booker makes the team and is going to get a little bit of work there. But it was a small boost for Lindsay. I had dropped him down to like late fifth, early sixth round consideration. And now I think you can move him back up to the early fifth.
0: It's going to be really interesting what they do. You said it, Heath, you know, does Booker make the final roster? Because I think, you know, Booker could be one of those guys, you know, with uh, like a Kenneth Dixon, I I don't know, Giovanni Bernard, but maybe, you know, somebody that gets released, one of the Bills guys, you know, whether it's TJ Eldon or if they do decide to make a move on LaShawn McCoy, although it doesn't seem that's going to be the case, um, that could be a a contributor somewhere else, you know, that maybe would have been of interest. But, yeah, I think they have to keep Booker now, and you wonder if they're going to put Riddick on short-term IR.
2: Yeah, that would, be, that would probably be a significant... We'd talk about that with in terms of Philip Lindsay if Theo Riddick went on short-term IR. Or, or if he started on the PUP list, he'd be out at least six weeks, right? And IR would be eight weeks? He can't now. Oh, he can't now, right. Okay, Uh, so that's there are some other news items, but they're not hugely important. So let's talk about some preseason standouts and what we saw over the weekend. Uh, Jamie, who are some guys that are maybe moving up or down for
0: you? Um, I mean, Pettis was the, the biggest loser. I, I think, you know, you, you look at um, the Bucks running backs, actually, I thought looked very, really good. You know, both of them, Peyton Barber and, and Ronald Jones. It was nice to see them, you know, both look active and uh, contributing. You know, Barber showed a little bit more burst than I, I, I think, you know, you used to seeing maybe. Um, I really like what Jameis did. You know, that first drive was, was impressive. Um, the whole Bucks you know, offense. I know it's not, you not want to read into much on just one drive. Uh, Dave mentioned, you know, a little bit with James Washington, you know, his, his, performance was uh, exceptional and it was weird because we got that story at the end of last week of Deontay Johnson passing James Washington maybe on the depth chart which I didn't really understand to begin with and then all of a sudden you know Johnson's battling a little bit of an injury and, and James Washington came out and looked like everything you could ask for for uh, a guy that's competing for a job um again not playing with Roethlisberger Juju not on the field uh Dante Moncrief not on the field but you know that was uh that was fun to see and then Kenyon Drake you know was another guy that just getting those first team opportunities not necessarily the weekend but you know first First game, yep. um, you know, uh, uh, he was, you know, a, a winner for me. I know I wasn't on a Friday show. I'm sure you guys talked about that. But I think, you know, just looking at his um, his, his, play time with the first team was good.
2: Mm-hmm. It was, but it's unclear if Belage would would have gotten the second series, you know, a second possession.
0: Totally. I think, I think totally. it may have. Yeah. So. But, I, but I, I think, again, if you're just looking at it, that he came off the field with the starters was good. Or with, with Fitzpatrick, at least.
2: Yeah. Okay. Uh, Heath, how about you? Any preseason standouts? Let's talk about the Chiefs. Uh, because I think it's yeah. hard It's hard to really tell because Carlos I didn't do that much. He had a one-yard touchdown run. But I thought Darwin Thompson looked, looked the part. Like, he looked pretty impressive. Yeah, it wasn't
3: just Darwin. Like Darwin Thompson and Michael Hardman both made oh. big-time splash plays and looked like the kind of guys that could be really good for the Chiefs, really bad for opponents. And may have a hard time mattering in fantasy, at least until there's some sort of injury. I do think this was a bad game for Damian Williams, just as explosive as Thompson looked. And it's funny. He comes on the field, and you look at him and think, he's too small. This isn't going to work. And then he's just running dudes over. He's a very, very strong kid. I I think it was a bad game for Williams because of how good Thompson looked. And Hyde didn't do much, but he did get that one-yard touchdown run. One of my fears for Williams, if everybody's healthy... Would be that Williams is moving in between the 20s and Hyde is working in the red zone, so he needs to have a full week of practice, play in their next preseason game, and assert himself as the lead back, especially after Andy Reid's comments. The other thing, back to Tampa Bay, I was Chris Godwin did played every single play that Jameis Winston did, and went into the slot whenever they went three wide receivers, and caught the touchdown pass. Very, very excited about Chris Godwin. There was a quote from Mike Evans saying that it's not a one and two situation. We're competing to be the one. I think Pete Prisco said that drink a year ago that mm-hmm. uh, Godwin was going to be the one B. I think it's actually true this year. And I was a little bit disturbed by Daryl Henderson. Did not have a splash play of any sort. Did not. like. We knew he was behind Todd Gurley. We thought he was probably behind Malcolm Brown, at least at the start of camp. He came into this game after John Kelly. I'd like to see something more from him this week.
1: The offensive line let him down on a bunch of the plays, including the catch for negative five yards. Um, the lineman just whiffed on the block and a defender for the Raiders. Well, it's because, the backfield. yeah, so he was in with the, the back. Yeah, right. He was backups. playing with was John Kelly played before him. Right. Like, I don't, I don't know. He had a couple of seven yard runs. I'm, I'm not ready to say that he's um, a, a total bust, but it is a little harder to take him in that round seven Type of range. And going back to Ronald Jones, I was just thrilled that he was, you know, playing and like looking good, fighting for yardage and not playing with any hesitation. <laughs> it's a 180 from where he was at this time last year when he looked like he was scared to play football.
0: The but other thing I, about Henderson is, is that Gurley being healthy, right? Now. You know, I mean, a lot of people are drafting Henderson with the hope that Gurley's going to, you know, have his knee just explode on the field. Yeah. And so far, he that'd can. be he, weird. That would be bad. That would be he's bad. Every benchmark that he's that that the Rams have set.
2: Dave, you know the last time somebody's knee exploded on the field.
0: <laughs> yes, I do. Friday nights. Right.
1: Right. Yep. Yeah. It was
0: L.A. versus Cleveland. Uh, Andy didn't McGahey do that after though?
2: I'm talking cool, yes, but I'm ta-
0: <laughs> very, very. True.
2: I'm talking about the last Boy Scout. Um, Andy Dalton threw nine passes. Four of
1: them went to Tyler Boyd. So yep. he was certainly- he caught three of four on the drive, played out of the slide, only had twenty-five yards. Um, and I think he dropped one. But yeah, that's where where Yeah, to look- the <laughs> they <laughs> want to try and get some of their other receivers going. Um Auden Tate made a great play. He did have a great Cody Core game. was involved. Alex Erickson later on had a good game. I mean or had a good play, rather. But I, I, I was encouraged by that. And if he's gonna get volume like that, you know he's gonna be great in PPR.
0: Is he going to do that with AJ Green on the field and Joe Mixon on the? Field?
1: He did it last year with AJ Green.
0: Oh, I'm not saying he didn't, but but uh, you know that that percentage of targets I don't think will be. The-
1: no, but
2: he was he struggled without AJ Green on the field last year, and I think that was mostly because Jeff Driscoll was the quarterback. So that's why I wanted to point out. I think that you could get some really really amazing uh, early season production from uh, from Tyler Boyd, and we're gonna talk about that tomorrow. Also, Ronald Jones oh, we have a
0: trade. We have a trade. We have a trade. What? We, we really Patriots have to go. Patriots got another tight end. Oh, Patriots great! Patriots got another tight end. Eric Salbert from the Falcons in exchange for mm. a conditional seventh round pick. Okay, the blocker. Mm. All right, wonderful. forty five tight ends on their roster, right?
2: What a nice way to uh, to end the show. Thank you for listening to Wide Receivers Preview Part One. Of course, we will get into average draft position tomorrow on Part Two, uh, and we'll talk to you uh, then. We have we
0: have, a, we have a we have a special listener. Oh, who? Uh, her name is Beth Petrie. Thank you, Beth. We appreciate it.
2: Oh. Alright, thank you, Beth. Uh, Jamie, what do you have to say to Beth?
0: I gotta go, bye. na na, 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 na. na, na